2: Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today is episode three of our mini-series called Freak Ships of the 19th Century. You will have learned from part one that this series is based on a fabulous little pamphlet that was written in 1966 by a chap called Jay Guthrie who worked for Lloyd's Register and created this booklet, as it says on the title page, for private circulation amongst the staff only. It presents what it describes as unorthodox ships, rebels from tradition, and freaks of the nautical world, which throughout the whole of the 19th century attained transient fame or notoriety before disappearing from the scene forever. Episode one was on monitors, episode two was on circular ships, and today we are looking at cigar ships. Let's start, as always, by hearing a little about what Mr Guthrie has to say about these vessels in his pamphlet.
1: The cigar in this context refers to the shape of the vessel, not her cargo, and this group of steamers represents the railwayman's approach to naval architecture. The Winans brothers came from a family of brilliant and wealthy railroad engineers in the USA, and their first cigar vessel was built at Baltimore in 1858. The hull, 235 foot long by 16 foot in diameter, was shaped like a spindle, and was in fact two paraboloids fitted base to base with a short space between them. They were connected by a circular steel shroud 25 feet in diameter by 10 to 12 feet long, and a transverse annular propeller was fitted in this space, working inside the shroud. The propeller consisted of a drum roughly the same diameter as the hull, with a series of vanes or blades, and could be compared with a modern turbine wheel working inside its casing. This design was not successful, as difficulty was experienced in maintaining water tightness at the propeller bearings. Also, the two sections of hull tended to work about their connections to the shroud ring, and a neater arrangement was contemplated. The second cigar vessel was built in 1865 at St. Petersburg, Russia, and was quite small, 70 foot long, 9 foot diameter, and fitted with an old portable engine. This vessel did nine knots, but as the propeller was of the orthodox pattern and stuck out below the hull outline, it was too vulnerable in shallow water. The third vessel, the Walter S. Winans, was built at Le Havre by Nylas and Son in late 1865. She was 72 foot long by 9 foot diameter, of 33 tons burden, and had several shafts protruding from the hull at both ends. Any shaft could be fitted with a propeller at will, and this unusual shafting assembly, driven by a 25 nominal horsepower engine, was used to determine the optimum number of propellers for this type. The fourth, and I believe, last of the Cigar Ships, was Ross Winans. The Ross Winans was launched in February 1866 at the Isle of Dogs yard on the Thames. She was 265 foot long by 16 foot diameter, displaced 500 tons and was fitted with a rudder and propeller at each end. Bearing in mind that the Ross Winans was built a hundred years ago, most of the ideas incorporated in the design are extraordinarily modern.
2: Now, to get a modern historian's perspective on these extraordinary ships, I spoke once again with Stephen McLaughlin, a man of immense knowledge of the period and the many maritime innovations that it produced. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoy talking with him. So here is the excellent Steve cigar ships. Ah, now, ah
0: yes <laughs> These are fantastic,
2: right, so I just came across this wonderful description of them um, Of course this discussion is based on uh, this 19th century document on freak ships and I really love the introduction there to the, uh, the, the chapter on cigar ships where it felt it was sufficiently important to say the cigar in this context refers to the shape of the vessel <laughs> not her cargo yeah. <laughs> so, I just imagine a Victorian sitting in a Victorian study, smoking jacket on, maybe smoking hat, cigar on the go, <laughs> reading that and going, really? The shape? Not the cargo? <laughs> uh, wonderful. So um, tell me about these cigar ships. What's going on here?
0: Well, they were invented um, by a by a by basically a family, uh, the Winans of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, they were railroad engineers, and I have to say that um, as naval architects, they were very good railroad engineers. Hmm. They um, <laughs> the, the, the One of the sons, and there's a Russian connection here, so i got to go on about that for a moment. One of the sons, William Winans, went to Russia to manage uh, a factory there. At the time, Russia was interested in importing um, expertise from around the world. And um, so he was managing a factory near the St. Petersburg area. And he got into the Russian—he um, sort of had connections with the Russian Navy— and at the time, the Russians were interested in studying or finding finding out ways to armor ships. And one of the ways was to have a low-lying ship in the water with curved a curved upper works so that shells would be deflected rather than striking directly. So Winans came up with this idea of a, of a sort of curved, low-lying ship. Well, apparently he communicated that idea to his father, who was back in Maryland. And his father said, hey, I'm going to build me a cigar-shaped ship, which is, you know, not I'm sure he didn't literally have that thought, but that was his basic idea, was that the ship, which sort of had a spindle shape, would have a lot of advantages. First of all, it would, you know, it would run through the ray- waves rather than having to crest over them, and, you know, it wouldn't have superstructures uh, and, a, and a vertical hull that that the waves could impart a role to, and... Um, so it would, you know, it would be much more seaworthy, sea kindly is I think one of the expressions that was used frequently about them at the time. Um, so that, you know, you'd, you'd have this sort of radical advance in, in the shape of ships that would just have all these wonderful advantages. So he built the first of these ships, which as far as I know, never had a name beyond the cigar boat. He built it in Maryland. Um, it was quite a sensation at the time, of course. Um, uh it, he built it in 1858
2: and yeah it's, so before the civil war i think before an important the civil point war yeah no it,
0: actually it is yeah yeah because um, we're
2: used to seeing well i suppose 19th century historians are used to seeing all of the crazy stuff that follows in the civil war where they do start building really unusual ships but yeah. um that's why i love this it's the, it's the period before he's kind of demonstrating what you can get up to if you just apply yourself
0: Yeah. So he built this thing on his own, with his own money. They were, they were quite well off and, uh, it steamed around the Baltimore area, um, got written up in a lot of newspapers and, you know, took people out on excursions. And there was even talk of having it go to New York to greet the great Eastern when she came to New York. Uh, but that didn't come off perhaps because there were some problems with the original ship. He'd, um, he developed a sort of annular propeller around the middle of the ship. And so the ship was sort of divided in two by this propeller in the middle. And the two parts sort of got, had a lot of stresses and strains as they worked in the sea. And um, probably um, there's actually letters from his son, William still in St. Petersburg in Russia saying, don't take this thing to sea dad. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's just not there yet. So um, the ship didn't go to sea, um, but it sat around in Baltimore Harbor for many, many years. Um, and, uh, but the idea didn't die. It was sort of postponed by the Civil War. Um, so the senior Winans had been sort of a southern sympathizer, so he was briefly arrested during the Civil War and things like that. But after the Civil War, when things returned to a more normal level, um, his sons sort of took up the baton. Because uh, his, the father was aging and and um, wasn't and, and didn't have the, the energy to deal with this stuff anymore. So William took over and built uh, ships, uh, one at Le Havre and one at um, uh, um, in Russia, uh, at least actually at least two in Russia. And both of them, as far as I can tell from the limited material available, made a few voyages around, you know the harbor. The ship that was built in Le Havre eventually came over to Britain. Uh, across the channel. They were built more or less as yachts and as showpieces or, you know, demonstration ships. And the final iteration was the Ross Winans was the largest. She was built on the Thames um, in 1866. And she was fairly large, about 250, 260 feet long, wow. um, and was basically a yacht for um, the Winans family. Uh, and it kind of, this was kind of a dead end at the time. You know, I mean, it, they, they, it, the ship sailed around a little bit, you know, underwent trials on the Solent and things like that, but never really went to sea. Um, so you have a, a vessel that, in spite of a lot of press publicity, never really caught the attention of naval architects, I think, the way that some others had. Um so it it didn't really ever have a, a follow on. No. But but it's, it's
2: interesting that it was built in more than one country as opposed to the circular ships which were d- just just in Russia. I also um was I enjoyed reading about it having um it, the hull was was subdivided into watertight compartments which seems to be a pretty dramatic advance of what had happened before.
0: Well, I mean yeah, they they've been building, you know, ships with watertight compartments for quite a while um you know iron ship building you know unlike a wooden ship an iron ship doesn't float so if it gets one hole you're in trouble mm. so you know you had to have watertight compartments but um but yeah no they they actually incorporated a lot of quite interesting technology in the ship um you know that that, that was very forward thinking with with the watertight bulkheads and and some of the other features they had a uh, uh propellers at each end that were connected to a single shaft so that the, you know you could have sort of a pusher puller thing um they, they were certainly very innovative, and I think the uh, the um, the piece we've been talking about, uh, uh, the the Lloyd's piece, does mention you know they get full marks for for innovation. Um, so they you know it was it was it was interesting ships. Yeah,
2: um, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near one of the cigar <laughs> ships. I mean, it it, it it looks like a giant version of the Hunley. We all know what happened to that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'd, you know, I'd have really enjoyed going on the circular ones. I think you know, cruising up towards the Danube. What about you? Which one would you
0: have preferred to go on? I would certainly have preferred to go on the circular ships. I think uh, <laughs> there, there's there's a little more confidence there in in. Um what's going to work and what's not going to
2: work. <laughs> yes, yeah. but therefore all the more admiration for Winans for building it, um, you know, building something which looks so fantastical. And I suppose it's not surprising that some say that uh, his cigar ships inspired Jules Verne and, uh, you know, the, the Nautilus in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea.
0: Well, and, and certainly, you know, you look at a modern submarine and it's not that much different a hull form. You know, the, a lot of the same principles are there. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a waste of time. Because all of these things, you know, it's a it's a technology demonstrator. And, um, you know, it just took a long time for the technology to catch up with the demonstration.
2: (laughs) That's very true. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing uh, with me these wonderful ships today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Many thanks for listening now. There is just one episode left in our Freak Ships of the 19th Century mini series and we're going to be looking at a unique vessel named the Cleopatra that was designed and built to bring Cleopatra's Needle, yes, that ancient Egyptian obelisk on the banks of the Thames all the way back from Alexandria to London. So extraordinary is this story that to accompany it we have made a fantastic animation that will be on our Mariners Mirror podcast YouTube page showing exactly how they managed to do it. Don't forget that this podcast was brought to you, as ever, from both the Society for Nautical Research and Lloyd's Register Foundation. So please check out what both of these amazing institutions are up to. You can find the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk, where you can join. And you can find the History and Education Centre of the Lloyd's Register Foundation at lrfoundation.org.uk. Please follow us on social media. Please leave a review on iTunes. If you leave a five-star review, I promise I'll read it out. And please, please check out our wonderful YouTube channel. That's the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube.